Welcome to season three of Sorting Pen, the California Cattlemen podcast. Every day, the California Cattlemen's Association is sorting through the issues impacting California's ranching families and producers. To communicate those issues, discuss solutions, and keep ranchers current on the hot topics, CCA leadership developed this podcast and is continuing it in 2023. In each episode, we will be talking with CCA leadership and leading experts on issues specific to ranching and producing beef in California. Tune in every other Monday to hear updates on legislative and regulatory fronts in Sacramento, deep dives into current events, challenges, and more. For more than 75 years, the American Beekeeping Federation, which we're going to refer to as ABF on this episode, so we'll be going back and forth on those names, but... They have been working in the interest of all beekeepers, large and small, and those associated within the industry to ensure the future of the honeybee. So I'm sure many of you listening have heard about the honeybee and some of the issues and challenges facing that industry, but we're going to go more into that today and also talk a little bit about WSR's relationship with ABF. So joining me to do that, we have WSR's Stephanie Myers, who is a co-owner of WSR and works with beekeepers all across the country. Stephanie, thanks for joining me for another episode. Hi, Katie. Thanks for having us back. And we also have two other guests with us today. We have Jay Miller, who is the owner of J2 Honey Company and the incoming president, so currently vice president of the American Beekeeping Federation. We have Dylan Kelly, who is the owner of Ag Pollen Apiaries and is also a beekeeper. So, Jay, let's start with you, if you don't mind. That was a very quick introduction I gave you. Let's hear a little bit more about yourself, and then Dylan will jump over to you before we get started with the heart of the interview. Our family's been in commercial beekeeping since my great-grandfather traded seven bags of oats for seven boxes that had bees in it. And he was the first migratory beekeeper to use cattle cars to haul bees from Cache Valley, Utah, down to Colton, California, and back. At one time, he was the biggest beekeeper in America. Being his offspring, we chose not to do that. We, we run an operation of about 8,000 hives in California, Idaho, and North Dakota. And I work with my son-in-law. We store bees in potato cellars as part of our business in addition to almond pollination and then honey production in North Dakota. I am married and, and have six daughters and six son-in-laws now and 20 grandchildren. I find that's a lot funner than beekeeping in my older years. <laughs> you sound like a pretty busy guy. No, my wife is real busy. <laughs> but uh, I, I enjoy tormenting the grandkids. Of course. So it, it, it's, it's a great second career. Dylan, let's hear a little bit about yourself before we get going. My name is Dylan Kelly. I own and operate Ag Pollen Apiaries, LLC. I got into beekeeping kind of organically. I shook a swarm one day, probably about 10 years ago, had a few boxes of bees and then went off to school in Chico, California. I started working for commercial operations up there, fell in love with it. And then uh, as I graduated from college, I looked for a company to start working for with the intent of taking over. I was pretty adamant that I didn't want to work for someone. I wanted my own business. I made that found the right connection and got in and started managing an operation and now taking over an operation. And we run between Modesto, California, Mississippi, and North Dakota, primarily honey producers, but we do the almond thing like most other beekeepers, make queens, make a little bit of honey in Mississippi, the big crop 
hopefully comes from North Dakota. That's pretty much what we do. We, we run about 8,000 hives, jump up some years, go down other years, but that's, that's typically how we do it. Stephanie, anything you want to add before we get going? Oh, I just want to thank Jay and Dylan both for coming in. It's a super busy, busy time of year for beekeepers. And this is kind of release time right now in California. So this is a big lift for them to give me these couple hours out of their schedule today. And I really appreciate it. Absolutely. They're both my great friends and I'm actually, I'm really happy to see them also. So it's a time of year we don't usually get to hang out. Well, I'm glad the podcast could make that work then. Let's start off talking a little bit about the American Beekeeping Federation. Jake, what is the goal and mission of ABF? I'm sure our listeners are familiar with other associations and federations. We talked a little bit about it, but what's kind of the main goal of this group? That we don't get relegated to a point of insignificance that people miss the importance of honeybees in their everyday life. There are so many challenges that we're facing as an industry and without a, what would I say, an organization that is committed to help communicate the values that we're trying to present in the beekeeping industry, that it's a viable occupation to move into, it can be profitable if you have commercial aspirations, it can be fun if you have just hobby aspirations, and then if you're a sideliner, you can do so many different things with it. But ultimately, it's for the benefit of the nation's food supply that we we want people to realize that bees are that essential. I mean, cows and chickens are important. They consume the byproduct of the bees' work. Stephanie, what is WSR's connection to ABF? ABF was one of the very first big national conventions I went to, and it was in Reno, Nevada a few years ago. And I had actually met a couple ABF board members on a honeybee education cruise. And our agency went to that meeting to be vendors. And since that time, we've been not just vendors, but sponsors of ABF. We have a partnership with them in that we support their commercial beekeeping side. This year, the commitment of all of our agents was to donate two cents per hive for every insurance policy we wrote to to whatever organization our beekeeper chose. And ABF is one of the organizations that agents will be writing personal checks to here shortly. It's a good group of people. A lot of our good friends, my good friends are members or board members. As far as what kind of the strong points are, we've talked about the importance of ABF and Jay and Dylan, you can kind of decide who want to answer this first or who wants to take a stab at it. But what do you see as some of the strong points of ABF, maybe today or just even in the past? What are some of the strong points of this federation? For me, I see the strong points as helping kind of unify the industry and bring people together to make connections along with helping us provide the the resources needed for research. Beekeepers, a lot of the times on a commercial side, don't have the time to do that research. And a lot of them, I feel we kind of take it for granted, but ABF really does help. And, and some of the other organizations as well. But ABF helps fund that research and get the ball rolling, providing the resources that are needed to do that research that we, the beekeepers, benefit from in the end. Aside from that, the legislative side and taking the time to kind of support beekeepers and, and lobby and do things that we need because beekeepers are just too busy to get it done a lot of the times. We want to get it done, but... We're so all over the place and everyone's organized in a different way that beekeepers just don't have the time a lot of a lot of the time to get that stuff done. 
bringing people together, making connections on the, on the annual conventions are a huge part for me and just kind of being the voice for the beekeeper. As far as research right now, or just research in the past, is it research that the beekeepers in the group bring up that they want research on or who's kind of the driving force behind what's getting researched? I would say it's beekeepers bring stuff up or the board kind of decides, you know, research is presented and then the board decides how to allocate the money. The ABF is working with PAM. We have dialogue with them often. PAM is the acronym for uh, Project APASM, and it was a, uh, a group of almond growers and beekeepers that got together and said, we need to put together a research program to first gather in money and then sort out really good research projects. And in working in tandem with PAM, the ABF has been able to identify challenges and problems that we're facing, whether it's mite resistance to the chemicals that we have to use to control mites, American foul brood that, that it is becoming resistant to the antibiotics that we use on them. But right now, the legislative push, one of the values of the ABF is that we try and solve our own problems and not run to the government for a solution. But we have a problem on the horizon called the tropolalapse mite, which is a much more dangerous parasite to the European honeybee than has been the varroa mite. And the varroa mite has put a lot of people out of business. And we only have one scientist, Sam Ramsey, that is actually doing the bulk of the research on this parasite, which is all over the Southern Hemisphere. It's coming to America, and we need to be ready to address that, and we're not sure how we're going to do that because it's much more virulent and aggressive and will take down a hive a lot faster, and it, it is keeping people up at night now wondering where is it going to come from. It's not if it comes, it's when it comes, and are we going to be prepared? And so we're using our lobbyist, Fran Boyd, to get together with different legislators to, as we write the farm bill, have a significant portion of funding go towards addressing that specific might. It seems in the ag industry, oftentimes we don't have enough people looking forward and a problem comes up and bites us on the rear and we are in a constant state of catch up instead of being able to say, oh, yeah, we got this. And we're trying to not let that be the case with the tropolalapse. We want to make it feel very unwelcome when it comes to the northern hemisphere, particularly the United States and Canada. It's an interesting time for you to bring that up. I know a lot of our listeners know I work for the California Cattlemen's Association. So we face similar issues, just a little bit different. Right now, the big topic of conversation that's keeping producers up at night on the cattle side is probably foot and mouth disease. Like you said, trying to be proactive rather than reactive, wondering how and if and when it's going to get to our country. As far as areas where you think maybe ABF can still grow or expand a little bit, uh, what would you say those could be? What I've been observing is the younger beekeepers like Dylan that are taking over operations where they haven't lost their nearsightedness and can still read their cell phone, yeah. they can get all the information they need off of their cell phone. Us older guys that are uh, technologically challenged, we need to talk in the halls. 
interact with our fellow beekeepers, either at conventions or, or other opportunities. And so I see a tremendous challenge. I mean, we have these young bee guys with a lot of energy and a lot of different interests. And that question of answering, why do I need to be involved with ABF, is a challenge that we are looking to find the answers to. We ask a lot of questions and then we discuss how are we going to help these guys that don't feel a, a strong need to associate rethink what they're going to do because the day's coming when us old geezers are going to step aside and who's going to fill these shoes that really need to be filled or beekeeping will become a whole lot harder. An association's main function is to have a voice to speak to the masses. And nobody listens to one or two guys. But sure. if you have 12 or 1,500 people, they're all saying the same thing and writing their congressmen and hearing at hearings and that. Then you have an impact where individually they get lost and will not be heard. And that's probably our, our most vexing yet exciting opportunity because these young guys, uh, they're no fools. And once they get a picture of what it means, we are finding are willing to jump in and give us the energy and time that's required to make a difference. Dylan, as a younger bee producer and someone that's probably in contact with a lot of younger beekeepers, are these ongoing conversations or how is it being addressed by ABF? Exactly how... ABF is addressing it. I don't know, but getting those younger people in the door would be crucial. You know, beekeepers are all on different schedules, different states, different places. I think the Federation does its best to try to move around, you know, every year with its convention, because that's that's how the introduction gets made. You know, sure. you attend the convention, you fall in love and then you become a member and you plan on going to it no matter where it is. So just getting those younger beekeepers in the door is the challenge, I think. I think as you have a few younger beekeepers go, they'll tell more, who will tell more eventually, but it it happens on a year-by-year -year basis, so it's kind of a slow evolution. But it's an evolution that definitely needs to happen. When you go to these conventions, you do see a lot of gray hair. You know, there's not as many younger beekeepers because it is a hard, it's a hard life moving around with your bees and moving them from state to state and putting in the work that's needed. Bringing in more beekeepers that are younger would be crucial. And figuring out how to do it is going to be a challenge. I don't know the exact way to do it because beekeepers are all over the place. Finding a way to do that is going to be crucial. How do you think ABF can address the needs of the commercial beekeeper better? Or in what ways are they already doing that? Maybe I could start with an example. When father retired, my brother and I were running the business together, and then I had an opportunity to buy my own business and get out. In the family business, we were pretty self-sustained. We uh, kind of developed a little bit of silo thinking in that we could do everything and that other beekeepers were kind of dumb on how they did stuff. And once I was on my own and had to ask other beekeepers for help because I didn't have a lot of bees and I was in the unfamiliar. And I found that I made some really good friends during that transition time that stepped up and helped me and then I helped them. An experience that I had on the side, I raised just a few cows. I think I have 14 
fourteen, but it could be six. I'm not really sure, but um, the, fourteen. They, they they die really easy. I was talking to a rancher, and he told me exactly how to do something. And then I talked to a different rancher, and and I mentioned that this rancher told me to do it this way, and he said that guy is such a dumb old goat. He don't listen to him. Do it my way. And the more ranchers I talked with, the more I learned that they all think their way is the perfect way, that anybody that doesn't do it their way is stupid. That really kind of struck home with me. Do I do that as a commercial beekeeper to other beekeepers? We, we have the sideliners, which is between 100 and 800 hives that they do it on the side. And, right. and then we have the hobbyists. Do I, as a commercial bee guy, have I returned to my silo and say, well, I know how to do everything right and uh, you're just stupid? I really have been working hard to not project that image, to listen to other people and understand because different ecosystems require different behaviors. And uh, rather than just throwing it out of hand because it's not the way I do it, is a discipline that I've added to listen and then understand and then and then tell them they're stupid. In the long run, I think that as our association, we need to be very inviting and to ask people to tell their story and to give them the feedback that their way of doing stuff, if it's working for them, that might benefit somebody else. So come join and share. And sometimes I've been reading some comments on Facebook because that's where old people go to get their messages about, well, what do I have to gain from joining ABF? And some of the comments struck me that, uh, they wanted to be invited to a birthday party, and they weren't going to bring a gift, and they wanted their cake and ice cream, uh, give me a gift for coming, and then leave and say, and the cake tasted awful. And if that's a person's mindset, rather than coming and saying, how can I make this situation better? What do I know that can make our industry better? Those are the kind of people that we need to step up and help us out. And the people that are just takers, they never do contribute much to any industry, but there seems to be a lot of them. So one of the goals of ABF would be to help them transition into saying, just like, uh, and I hate to be trite, but President Kennedy said, don't ask what government can do for you, ask what you can do to help out. And I think that applies to our industry. What can you do to help our industry instead of just saying, gimme, gimme, gimme? That was a real long answer to a hard question. It was a good answer, though. And I think as you are the incoming president, I'm sure the Federation is happy with that mindset that you have. Dylan, what do you kind of think as far as the future of ABF as a young beekeeper, maybe in the next one year, five years, 10 years? Do you have a vision for it or see it changing much in the next couple of years? You know, Jay's experience with ABF extends back a lot longer than mine. If I had to guess, I mean, I'm sure they're going to have to evolve and cast a wider net to try to get more of those people in as some people, you know, are, are stepping away. It's a challenge. I mean, I have a group of younger beekeepers. We stay in constant communication and just kind of as Jay said, I think 15 of them all were saying, well, what do I get out of it? And that's, you know, so it's a mindset challenge is trying to figure out how you're going to change those people's mindset to get them in the door and see the benefits and contribute. That is going to be, you know, needed to improve the future of ABF. Me personally, I'd like to see a little bit of unification between some of the the groups. 
you know, the bigger groups of uh, associations and, and federations. I, I would like to see some unification so that people can all go to one place rather than going to different places. Obviously, the state conventions are a little bit different, but the national conventions, I'd really like to see them brought together so that we can work together towards these goals instead of separately. Long term, you know, 10 years, I think it'll be pretty interesting. 10 years from now, if we don't get some of these people in the door, are you still going to be going to ABF in 10 years? Heck yeah. I hope my lifespan is up by then. It hurts too much to get out of bed now. That's That, I think, is going to be the real challenge 10 years from now, looking far into the future. COVID did screw some things up, and attendance did go down, which affects the membership, because if you don't go to the conference, and a lot of times people say, well, why would I be a member? So, you know, that's kind of a, a bad start that we faced a few years ago, and now when you look far into the future, they only get so many, so many new people in the door every year. There's another huge issue that beekeepers face that the two big national organizations are trying to work with, but that's just the government and the political agendas that the government, different branches of the government have. I think that the legislative support that ABF and American Honey Producers does is crucial for beekeepers going forward. That's something they're both really good at. So the more they do, and the more young beekeepers that are involved, that have thoughts and opinions that are willing to reach out to congressmen, to legislators, to people on committees. I mean, it's going to be hugely important for beekeepers going forward. One of the challenges that I presented to the convention committee is I want this, our conventions to be life-changing experiences, if not for the men, for the women that show up. Because the moms and the wives put up with a whole bunch of really unpleasantness in dealing with bee guys. And I want them to go to the convention and number one, feel validated. Number two, learn something that would improve their quality of life. And number three, make a friend that they look forward to seeing at the next convention. Because back in the olden days, when we were young and went to conventions, there was a couple out of New Hampshire that we always look forward to getting together with and, and doing something with where we're so tribal and polarizing in so many of our life's events, it's the board's responsibility at the convention to introduce people and, and strengthen the opportunity for associations. And I have to admit that Stephanie, in comparison to a lot of the rainfall insurance agents that, that work in the industry, has been very good at bringing groups together and interacting. She's pleasant and uh, thoughtful yet knows her stuff but can speak on a number of issues and I think that really validates the women that come that shoot I can walk around and talk to other women and and this can be a memorable experience I think it'll be interesting to find out and watch and see but I do think you're right having it is a family operation I'm assuming for most beekeepers I don't know what the percentage is of how many are family run and but I'm sure a majority of them are so getting the whole family on board and making it a memorable experience for everyone. I think you're right. I think it is an important thing. People are busy and they, I know like on our side at CCA convention, a lot of people kind of use that as their vacation and time to catch up with people they don't see. Like you said, you saw your friends from New Hampshire once a year. So I think making those connections and letting people know it's more than just attending a meeting and sitting in. It's a 
maybe a boring speaker. It's a lot more than that. I feel like we could continue this conversation for a while because it is it's a pretty serious conversation, honestly. We do have to wrap it up. So any closing comments from the three of you just before we wrap up this episode and let you get back to your busy season? Thank you for having us. Learning from guys like Jay and other members of the Federation on how our voices can be heard on the younger side and just educating us on what we need to stick up for and how we do it is a big part of it as well. Showing up is the first step, but actually being involved and learning how to tackle these issues, it's a skill that you can learn from people who have been successful in it. That's part of the education that probably needs to be tackled as we attend these conventions and become members of these things. I'm an empty vessel. You've taken everything that I know about everything. So thank you. Uh, thank you, Katie, for, for getting together with us again. And again, I want to thank Dylan and Jay and Briar for coming in. Like I said, this time of year for beekeepers is complete and total mayhem. Time out of the schedules right now is, is more valuable to these guys than money or anything else. And so I, I just really appreciate them setting aside time to come talk to me today. Someday we have to bridge the gap, Katie, between cows and bees and build big partnerships. I think we can do it. I think so too. Perfect. Okay, thanks, Katie. Thank you. Have a great rest of your day.